The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Amen. We are several weeks now into our Psalms of Ascent sermon series called Going Home. And each week we are using this introduction just to kind of build out uh, that series. The Psalms of Ascent are like a hymn book that was used by those going back to Jerusalem to worship at one of the, the many festivals that they would be called to each year. And they compiled uh, different songs written over hundreds of years and said, you know, as we go back towards Jerusalem, th- this is what we want on our lips. And so, so this is how we introduce this hymn book, the Psalms of Ascent. In each one of us is a deep inherent longing to be home, a place of peace and security. Home is the place we finally belong, but the road back home is often long and dangerous. The people of God would sing these psalms of ascent as they traveled towards Jerusalem to worship God. We now learn these songs as we travel together to new Jerusalem. We are still on our way home. We are longing for a better country, a heavenly one. We believe that home is finally found only with God. God has invited us to come. And these are songs for the journey. That line the road back home is often long and dangerous, has had new meaning. As many of you know from my family, the last couple weeks, uh, for you who do not know, my dad was diagnosed with a rare, aggressive form of cancer a couple weeks ago. And as you can imagine, uh, that's been, there's this acute, very personal um, almost private feeling and private not just for the self but for the, our family. And we found out um, the severity of the diagnosis on a, on a Wednesday night. And just a couple hours later, we were gathering with the community group leaders of the Refuge Church, people that throughout the week are gathering people in their homes or in other people's homes to, to simply speak the Jesus' words to one another, learn how to speak Jesus' words to one another. And so we got together to encourage each other. And, um, and so at the end of this time, my dad shared the diagnosis that he just received hours before. And as everybody gathered around us to pray, and, and, and so many were crying and, uh, and loving us, um, this, this uh, sadness that felt so personal and private all of a sudden didn't feel as private anymore. And, and to be honest with you, the thought wasn't even just as much for ourselves. but I thought of people that were gathered in that group, um, in, in that group of those who had gathered around us to pray for us. There were people who um, had, had lost their own parents to cancer, Multiple people in that group had lost their own parents to cancer, lost kids, um, suffering of different kinds. And, and what I, I thought in that moment as I felt sorrow so, so closely and so personally was how hard it is for me, as they shared in my sorrow, how hard it is for me to share in, in the sadness of others. Um, it was really humbling because I realized that I think I do an okay job listening 
but it, it really is challenging for me to, to carry someone else's sorrow. And, and there's a couple ways we respond to, to sorrow, to the sadness other people bring to us. And the first um, is pity. Um, it's one way to respond. And, and pity is, is simply being someone who uh, you acknowledge someone else's suffering. Um, it doesn't take a lot to pity somebody. You can just see them and nod or in some way participate, say I'm listening. The next step beyond pity is sympathy, which is, it goes beyond just acknowledging that someone else is suffering, but it, it means that you care about their suffering. And sometimes you care enough enough to do something about it, to um, write a card or, or in some ways participate. The next step is empathy, which I think oftentimes I try to get to the point of empathy. And that is that beyond just caring for somebody, you actually feel their suffering or feel their sorrow. Um, I think oftentimes that for us is the culmination of it. And we feel like we maybe have done well in sharing someone's sadness when we're empathetic with them. Because then at that point, we ourselves are also hurting. But the next step, which is the one that I'll be honest with you, I I really have a hard time doing. And, And this is honestly probably surprising for you who many would call me a compassionate person, but I have a hard time with compassion sometimes. And I'll, I'll explain why I think that's happened in my life. But compassion is when you go beyond just feeling what someone else feels, but you actively try to relieve their sadness. You try to relieve their, their, their suffering. You, you attach yourself to them in a, in a specific way. You, so whatever they're going through, you will expend whatever resources you have. You'll give whatever time you have. All that you have is yours. And so in that process of actual compassion, you are yourself being changed by it you shape around what has brought this other person sorrow. And that is very hard because it is inconvenient. (laughs) It requires not just something of you, but really compassion requires everything of you. Not just feeling sadness, but actually being shaped around it. I think it's so hard for me because um, I grew up in a very compassionate family. Uh, my, my parents are very compassionate people. They've always lived with a very open home. And, um, but even with them being really open, each of us kids, you don't just grow up compassionate because your, your parents are compassionate. And, and, and to be honest, it's just, it's, it's hard, you know, and, um, it's, it's easier to avoid at times than be involved. And so, um, while all this was happening, I realized that, that at the same time, God had been challenging me with ways that I have tried to be numb to, um, to sadness and the suffering of others. And, um, and not in, I mean, that probably sounds really cruel, but I'll explain how that is. So we are now in the Lenten season, 40, 46 days, 40 of them we observe leading up to the death and, and then expected resurrection of Jesus, Good Friday, Easter. 
And this Lenten fast that oftentimes people participate in, and for the first time I'm actually, I've, I've wanted to practice a Lenten fast. And, and the two things that I've given up to try to meditate on the suffering of Jesus was not buying any clothes. And, and for some of you, that probably is really funny, and you wouldn't think of myself being like a super fashionable person, but... And it's not like I'm, I'm like going out to Armani and like, like getting sweet, you know, alligator shoes. Uh, for me, honestly, it can be just as like going to Goodwill after I get off work, just because I don't have to think or feel anything, right? Being open with you guys. The other thing is, is watching television. I, I, you know, many of you are like, you don't even own a television, but believe me, it's very accessible with Netflix and whatever. It's very easy just to sit down and be like, you know, instead of like facing life, I'm just going to watch a show. Um, and, but I realized that like compassion shapes you, av- avoidance of compassion also shapes you. Um, it really shapes you avoiding uh, tenderness and, and the things that... that um, require all of you. So then we start this series called the Psalms of Ascent and I get Psalm 129, which reading it, this is the way it starts. Check it out. It says, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. And and I honestly, it was really hard because I realized like, I have really wanted to avoid oppression, both like really involving myself with the oppression of others, but, but like not wanting to put myself in scenarios where I myself will be oppressed. And so, and so how do I go beyond talking about, because I talk about it all the time. As a part of the Coffee Oasis, I literally go, I was at two different rotaries this week, one in Tacoma, one in Silverdale, and I'm talking about oppression. I'm raising awareness for the oppression that young men and women are facing, injustices that they face. And here I, I talk about it all the time. And, and yet, as I started getting ready for this sermon, I was like, man, how do we move beyond talk? Because let me just show you like a real quick snapshot of, of how oftentimes we just let it be talk. And we think our talk will get us at some point to compassion or maybe even to empathy. Think of Jesus and his disciples who... The first time Jesus ever said he was going to die, Peter responded really firmly. He's like, that's never going to happen to you. And Jesus, what did he say? He said, get behind me, Satan. And so they learned, don't, it's sensitive. Jesus doesn't want to talk about that. And so he's, he's like, it's all bent out of shape when we talk about him not dying. And so, and so what happens is, is they, they just let Jesus talk about it. And, and they just listen all the way up to the point where, where he is the night he's going to be betrayed. And he says, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to wicked men who are going to kill me. And they're like, sweet, pass the wine. Right? Like they're in this dynamic and they, they're like talking about who's the best disciple. They've just got so good at practicing avoidance, but thinking they're compassionate. Even though Jesus said, this is what it looks like to be my disciple. You're going to be someone who daily dies, carries a cross, and follows me. That's, that's what this path is going to look like. And they're like, cool. 
You know, because they just they thought because they've heard it all and they've just talked a lot that, that they were they were a part of and then so what happens is when, when it actually comes, when that moment of, of severest oppression actually comes to Jesus, what, what happens? They all leave. They all scatter. And so for us, I, I really I hope um, this psalm, this song of oppression helps us look at oppression. Maybe it's oppression in your life or the life of someone around you. Pain that you've carried. Literally, the, the, think of oppression, and I didn't define this for the first gathering. When you think of oppression, the idea of being pressed, I mean, it literally is this. To be oppressed means that, that something or someone has sought to crush you, has sought to, to exert power or dominance over you in such a way that, that it is crushing you showing you how small and significant you really are. That is, that is oppression. That's, the, that's its desire for you. So, here we go. Psalm 129. How do we remember our oppression and respond to it? I'll read it through and then we'll look at it. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So what I, I hope to give you looking at this is how we can remember our oppression and heal. How do we remember our oppression and heal? Um, to give you context for this psalm, it is fascinating. Um, the, the assumption is that this is written by a, a person who was um, a young um, man or woman, we don't know, who, who wrote, leaving the exile, 70-year exile from Babylon. So people of Israel, after many times revisiting their disobedience, they were exiled in Babylon. Um, exile meant not only getting ripped up from the land you were in, but placed in, in, in another home that its whole intention is to strip you of your identity, right? Then after 70 years, they're, they're coming back home. And it was so good that we know in, in Psalm 126, which we looked at uh, several weeks ago, and it's described in this way, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed, they were like, it was so good coming, that journey from Babylon back to Israel, it was so good. It was just like, it was like a dream. In Ezra um, 3, it, it gives this scenario of, of those who had come back, and being only 70 years, some of the people who had come back remembered what Jerusalem had looked like before it was completely leveled to the ground. So you have these people who, who remember it, and then you have this new generation that doesn't remember it at all. Um, and so, so this is the story it tells. As they see, it says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with trumpets, Levites, 
they're all getting around to praise him, right? And it says, well, praise with thanksgiving. It says, he is good, his love endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And, and as before we go on, think about it this way. They're like, they're giving this shout. And, and oftentimes, I think we read that and, it, and we just, we forget the oppression, right? But look at this. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priest, oh, sorry, uh, next. Uh, but many of the older priests and Levites and families, the heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish between the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. And so you have this mingling together, this, this joy of, of what, what they have come from and where they are now, but then you have this weeping of, man, this remembering how we have been oppressed since our youth. And so when we get back to Psalm 129, this is that context. They have greatly oppressed me for me. Remember together how greatly we were oppressed. This is that journey or on their way to Jerusalem, being able to think through the way that they have experienced being crushed in their past. And so three things um, that we remember when we remember our oppression. And the first is simply this, remember your oppression in the shadow of the promised victory. Remember the way you have felt being crushed in the shadow of your promised victory. And we, we read that here in verse two, it says, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained victory over me but they have not gained victory over me oftentimes when we experience pain or oppression or crushing we we act as if it, it is what casts shadow over the rest of our lives but in this in this triumphant sentence they have not gained victory over me we remember that there is a greater victory that itself casts a shadow back over it. It claims dominance over that. And, and I think the, the way this can best be seen is in Psalm 23. It talks about the Lord who is our shepherd, but it talks about this period of time in the life of the sheep where it says, we walked through the valley of the shadow of death. We walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And as Psalm 23 goes on, listen, it says, but you prepare a place for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, when we, when we see this, remembering the oppression of our youth, and that is not gained victory over me, and it says here that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, it's this very powerful lurking of the oppression, lurking of the enemy still around, but you have this table being set by God, this, this incredible gift of God saying, the greatest reality is not the oppression. It's not the pain, it's not the suffering you have felt or do feel now. There is a victory beyond that. And, and this incredible movement of, he prepares a place for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows, surely goodness and mercy. Right? And as we, as we look towards this being in the house of the Lord forever, be a people in remembering your oppression that you let the shadow of victory cast itself over the oppression that you felt. I think of this in terms of, of um, 
the kids that we get to spend time with day in and day out here at the Coffee Oasis or the new home that we just opened called Terry's House. And, and Terry's House is a place where uh, young women who have experienced um, sexual exploitation can go and heal. And, and in that period of time, there's this six months that's called just a blackout period, right? Moving from, from this place of oppression and exploitation and this time where, where think, of, think of that period of time where even, even after that long period of time, how oftentimes our habits, which have been so firmly instilled in us, how hard it is to break free from those. It can still seem like the enemy lurking around you in Psalm 23, right, as you have your place set at the table of God. So, first thing, remember your oppression in the shadow of the promised victory. The second is remember your oppression in contrast to the goodness and greatness of God. In verses three and four here, it says, plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous and he has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. This is so descriptive. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. If you think of, of the, the farmer who, who digs deep into the soil and drags it all up, it's like this is, this is what it feels like oppression has done to my life. It just dug it all up and it says, but the Lord is righteous and has cut me free from the cords of wicked. This is important. Your pain, I think this is what it's saying here in these deep, Wounds that maybe some, for some of us, don't feel like they've even begun to heal. Your pain will want to be treated as God in your life. It will be want, want to be treated as the greatest thing in your life. So much so that it will want to define you. It will want to name you. And so I, so I want you to think with this point that neither is your pain or your oppression God it will also tell you that there is a godless universe that you live in. And neither one of those are true. And first, your, your pain is not God and it cannot name you. But God, who can name you, says that you are, regardless of what your oppression says, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he invites you to come and be his beloved. This is this, but the Lord is righteous. No matter what name or feeling or thought my oppression has wanted me to have or live with, God alone can name you. And he says that you are amazing. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he invites you to be his beloved. Also, it will want you to believe a lie that you live in a godless universe where there is no help and there's no hope. I want you to stay in a place where you think that's all there is. It made me think of um, uh, the Christmas song um, that we sing. Uh, There's a line in it, um, God is not dead nor does he sleep. Um, the writer of the, the hymn, a famous poet, was, was thinking of the war. It was the Civil War, World War II, Civil War. And... Um, and it was, it was reflecting on all the pain and suffering of the war. And, and basically the question of the, the, the song is, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar song, song they played. Um, and, and the whole song is saying, 
Where is God? Where is God? And, and the, the refrain there at the end where, where uh, as he reflects on it all, it says, God is not dead, nor does he sleep. But what oppression will want you to believe is that you live in a place without hope or without help. And the truth is reflecting and contrasting that with the goodness and the greatness of God is that God has advocated for you and won your victory, the promised victory in Jesus Christ in a way that there is help and there is hope that cannot be taken away. The last thing is this, remember your oppression by praying for its defeat. And I think this is so important. Read this last part. It says, may all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. And honestly, I really was challenged with this because I think we, we try to be just like an okay people, like a super passive people where it's like, it's just gonna, it's gonna be okay, right? We see somebody going through something. We see injustice, we see oppression. And, and we, we like pass along these niceties to one another. Like, hey, it's just gonna get better, when what we're actually called to do and what this psalm calls us to do is pray actively for the defeat of oppression and injustice in the world. We talk about this in our theological vision. At the end of every Sunday, we say, Refuge Church, we send you out to be a church of the city incarnating King Jesus in city life. And the bigger version of it, we say, fighting injustice, freeing the oppressed, and finding people of peace. Fighting injustice and freeing the oppressed. That means where we see injustice, we fight it. We don't just act as if it's going to get better. When we see those who are oppressed, we fight for their freedom. We long for it. We, we pray for it. And in any way we can act to release people from the bonds of injustice, we do that. Think of how much we celebrate that. We celebrate the ending of slavery or, or we, we celebrate so much in the past and yet so much in the present is happening. So many injustice that we're like, it's cool. It'll be okay. It'll be fine. And, and all along, it says, God says in Micah 6, 8, right? He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your Act justly, which literally means go out when you see oppression, fight against it. Don't be okay with it. Don't make peace with oppression. And it is good to fight it in prayer and to fight it in action when you see it manifested in the world today. Pray for it for your family, for your community for this nation and the world. And, and at some points, get angry about it. Maybe often, get angry about it, right? When you, when you see injustice being done, don't make peace with it in your heart. I think we do this way too, I do this way too often. I just am like, oh, some, some awesome person like is gonna step up and figure that out, right? I'm just gonna do a, a, a sad face on Facebook, I'm, you know? And that's my, that's my fight against injustice. Right? Keep a tender heart. Maybe God's going to call you to do something. You know, when you, when you see someone who is suffering and you have been named by God, beloved, and you can go and share that with somebody else. So I want to ask a really hard question, and that is, um, are these just nice things that I'm saying? I think if, if you don't 
believe in God and, and you're like, that all sounds great. Like I would love not to listen to the voice of oppression. There might be a voice even in your head right now just saying, no, you're an idiot. Right? You might have something in your life that is crushing you. And so you hear this and you're like, I would like to believe what you're saying, but I don't think God exists. There's, there's only one thing that I can offer you as proof that this hope is real. And it is so, um, man, it's so good. Uh, hundreds of years before Jesus came, uh, there was a, a prophecy made about him that, that is so accurate you would think it would be written after him. It was called the Suffering Servant Song in Isaiah 53. And so for you who are like, is this just nice stuff? I, I want to read this for you. This, this, remember, this is written hundreds of years before Jesus came, carried our sorrow, died in our place, rose with victory, and so we can have a victory that casts a huge shadow over any oppression we've experienced. And this is what it says of Jesus. Remember, hundreds of years before he came, it says, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered Jesus, we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Remember Psalm 129, the deep furrows that they have cut in us, they were fur, all the sin, all of the sin was cut into Jesus, so by his wounds we could be healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us have turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on Jesus. All of our sin, all of our oppression, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. Uh, that's okay. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? And think about that. Think of how accurate that is when we think of, of Jesus trying to share what he would go through with his disciples, and them going like, uh, whatever, right? His oppression and judgment, he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his day and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he was suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the victory that can cast a shadow over your oppression. The Savior that by his wounds we've been made whole. The one who can name us and the one who speaks into a universe that oftentimes we try to convince ourselves is godless because it seems like there's so much sadness and sorrow. And he speaks into that as we hear over and over again in the book of John, I am. 
And he invites us, come to me, all you who are weary, oppressed, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So how do we respond to that? What do we do? And I really want to challenge you, if you are currently living in oppression or pain or suffering, to remember in these ways. Remember the victory promised and let the cast a shadow over your oppression. To contrast the evil with the goodness of God. To be someone who prays for his defeat and then, then ultimately, like we say, right, incarnate King Jesus in city life. If you are someone who you, just, you hear God say, like, you are my child, I love you, I'm so proud of you, you're mine. If you hear that, go out, fight injustice and free the oppressed. Do not avoid looking at oppression and sorrow and suffering. Take time so you feel it. And once you have felt it, expend all the resources that God has given you. Give all the time you have for this. And so you will be shaped by that. And, and in that way, you will incarnate King Jesus in city life. And if you do not do that, we will be just like the disciples who when it comes, will just scatter. So you are his beloved. Go out and love others well. Pray with me. God, we've been given so much and a lot of that is even represented here in the people around us that in the meals that we've received this week and all the calls, people saying, I'm, I'm with you, we love you, whatever we can do. God, I think some of this, a lot of it has made me feel like I've uh, let myself fall asleep, emotionally fall asleep, even mentally maybe fall asleep. In a way that only you can, I pray that you'll wake us up to deeply love those around us well, but whenever we see injustice or oppression in the world, to hate it and to pray for your peace, that we love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen.